Good morning, church. Uh, before we begin, I wanted to just introduce to you my friends who are here uh, this morning worshiping with us, Knotson and Tobikile and Nathan and Neville Ngube. They're from Zimbabwe, uh, but they live in Mount Joy. They're here for a number of years for education, and uh, God's blessed me with the privilege to uh, get to know them and be friends with them, and we're really glad that you're worshiping with us today. Um, uh, let's pray together. We thank you, God, this morning for the privilege of coming together to worship you, of lifting our hearts to you, lifting our voices to you. Now we lift our ears um, to you to listen to your word. Um, we pray that you would nourish us and feed us. Thank you for the food that you give. Um, help us to, to feast this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children, I probably don't have to tell you this, but children are natural imitators. Uh, check out this video. I love that video. <laughs> children are natural imitators, especially of their parents. It's how children learn to speak. It's how they learn mannerisms, vocabulary, and the like. A mother once told me how mortified she was when she heard her toddler daughter curse when she dropped one of her toys on the floor. The mother couldn't believe her ears, and she wondered where on earth her daughter had heard such a thing. Then a couple days later, she herself dropped something and heard the same words come out of her mouth. She realized her daughter had learned both the phrase and the reaction from her. Think for a moment about how important imitation is. Imitation eventually leads to the development of traditions and eventually to culture. Just as imagination Excuse me, just as imitation is significant in our development and growth and life, it's very significant in our spiritual lives as well as this morning's scripture passage reminds us. I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. No matter our age, no matter our stage of development, the scriptures remind us that we are children, dearly loved children of God. As we consider Ephesians 5.1, we shouldn't miss that the mirror verse, Ephesians 1.5, 
also tells us, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, as his children, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. The first few chapters of Ephesians help us to understand what it means to be dearly loved children. They help us to understand God's immeasurable love for us. I visited a person the other day who showed me a calendar that they've begun keeping. Each day, this person writes a little notation of how God's love was experienced in that day. On her calendar, there was one blank day. This person said, I don't think it was that I don't think it was that God didn't touch my life that day. I think I just forgot to write it down. What a record that will be when the year is over. What a great use for the boxes of a calendar. What a great discipline to think every single day about God's love. Thomas Akempis in The Imitation of Christ, which was written in the 1400s, uh, people say it's the Besides the Bible, it's the most published book in all of history. He urges us in that book to be grateful for every little gift, to consider the least gift as great and the most common as something special. Kempis writes that if we consider the dignity of the giver, no gift will seem unimportant or small. As we grow in gratitude for even small blessings from God, we're certain to grow in understanding that we're his dearly loved children. Well, following these first few chapters of Ephesians chapter 4, then, leads us to understand the kind of people that we are to be in response to God's great love for us. We're to be humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, working for unity, at peace with one another, maturing, growing, putting off the old self, clothed with a new self, righteous, holy, truthful, careful how we handle our anger, honest, diligent, caring, giving, building others up with our words, kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Read through Ephesians 4, you'll see that's a summary of it. It's in that, this context, then, that Paul wrote these two short but powerful verses. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates these verses as, Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Today I'd like to focus on three interrelated ways that we can be imitators of God in our serving, in our giving, and in our loving. And I was thinking a little bit this morning about it. This message is more like a watercolor painting where the colors um, blur and blend together. It's more like that than it is a, a, like a paint by number where there's clear lines between colors or points. Be imitators of God. Watch what God does, and you do it. Watch how he serves. Jesus, when he stooped as a servant to wash the feet of his disciples, told them that he was setting them an example. In other words, he was saying, do as I do, in John 13, 15. And then he went on in verse 17 of that passage to say that we will be blessed 
if we do the things he does. We wrongly think that the person or the persons that we're serving are the blessed ones as we meet more and more of their needs. Jesus says that we're blessed as we serve, as we give of ourselves, as we pour ourselves out. So if you're lacking the blessing of God in your life, it may be that your focus is wrong. You may be sitting back looking for what he might give you. His blessing, however, will come as you give of yourself, as you serve. Jesus was described in Mark 10, 45, as one who came not to be served, but to serve. And Philippians 2, 4 reminds us that each of us should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then this instruction is followed by a call for our attitude to be the same as that of Jesus, who set aside the glories of being God and made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. When we read Philippians 2, those words sound poetic to us, but a servant has no rights. A servant is concerned for the needs of others, not their own needs. A servant, even when weary, does one more thing that is needed or asked for. In the scriptures in the early church, the Greek word that was most commonly used for a servant was doulos, slave or bondservant. The other word that is sometimes translated as servant was diakonos. The root of this word was diako, which literally meant to run on errands. The root meaning of the word pictured someone kicking up the dust as they ran on an errand. Ministry is an action word describing servants of Jesus kicking up the dust, serving the world, and serving each other. We're to imitate the Lord in his serving, and we're to imitate the Lord in his giving. God gave his son. We can never tire of hearing those words or reading them in John 3, 16. God gave his son. His giving was extravagant. In three years of his ministry, Jesus gave and gave. He gave instruction and mentoring and healing and food and forgiveness and life. And then Jesus willingly gave his life. We look at the cross and say his life, his giving was selfless, sacrificial. We look at the cross and say our giving is to be selfless and sacrificial as well. Calvin Miller tells a story in his book, Once Upon a Tree. He wrote, it was years before I learned that a certain woman in our church had given her son one of her kidneys so he could live. When I saw his scarred abdomen as we dressed after a, rock, a racquetball game, I could only gasp, what happened to you? He smiled and told me that his mother bore this very same set of scars. And without her scars, he said he would not have lived. I was dumbfounded, not so much by his scars or even his words, but by his smile. I noticed that she smiled a lot too. Neither of their passions would admit to any real sacrifice on either of their parts. Joy is greater than pain. What is given up is never seen as a real sacrifice between lovers, he wrote. And then Miller says, 
This is the way I am to feel about Jesus. What is given up is never seen as a real sacrifice between lovers. This is the way I am to feel about Jesus. Amy Carmichael, who spent much of her adult life serving the Lord in India, rescuing children from the forced prostitution system of the Hindu temples, in her beautiful book, Toward Jerusalem, which, by the way, is a great book to read during Lent, she wrote a poem called No Scars. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear, I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole, can he have followed far, who has no wound nor scar? Someone shared a story of giving with me this past week. This person lives on limited income and shared with me that back in February, they didn't give their tithe to the Lord, very concerned about whether or not they'd have enough to make it through the month. They shared that they felt uncomfortable about that choice all month long. So when the beginning of March came, they gave their tithe, even though once again they had no idea how they might be able to manage through the month. This person gave their tithe, even though it seemed like an impractical thing to do as they looked at their income and the monthly living expenses that they have to pay. And this person lives quite simply. This person shared that despite their tight finances, they felt peace and joy in giving, which are some of the blessings of God, aren't they? But God blessed us, God blessed this person even further. A person whom they hadn't seen in a long time came to visit and told this person that God had put something on her heart, and she passed a gift from her hand to this person's hand. The gift was money folded up, which more than met this person's need. In telling the story, this person shared with me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. With tears, they told me of the blessing of acknowledging God and giving even when it seemed impractical to do so, and of the blessing of receiving such a special expression of God's love. Our, our world tells us, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, spend as much as you can. But about giving, John Wesley once wrote, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. We're to imitate the Lord in his serving. We're to imitate the Lord in his giving. In Ephesians 5.2, Paul then moves from calling us to imitate God to calling us to live a life of love. And he appeals to us with the example of Jesus' love for us, expressed most fully in giving himself up on the cross for us, just as he loved us, 
so we are to love. A few weeks ago, I read a book that, that Jane Mon had loaned to me called Come Walk With Me, written by a neurosurgeon, Mel Cheatham, who gave some of his time as a medical missionary doctor at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya. In the book, he told the story of meeting Stanley, a young man who put loving Jesus into practice. When Stanley was only six, he began herding his family's sheep, cattle, and goats. Every day, he faced the threat of hungry wild animals and raiding Maasai tribesmen. In the teeth of these hazards, Stanley learned to survive. Avoiding danger on a daily basis was not so much a matter of courage as it was a necessity of life. This young man dreamed of becoming a great runner. By the time he was 14, Stanley stood six feet tall. He was blessed with long, muscular legs, and he loved to race across the vast open grasslands of western Kenya. He could outrun almost every opponent. One day while running, Stanley thought he had pulled a muscle. At first, he had a dull ache in his left knee. Gradually, the pain grew. Perhaps exercise will help, he thought. He tried racing across the savanna through the short new grass brought to life by early summer rains. He dodged zebra, giraffe, and impala, running in a wide circle to stay out of the territorial hunt of lions. The soles of his feet, hardened by years of going barefoot, were as thick as leather. Unlike his left knee, they were numb to pain. Over the next month, the pain in his knee grew worse until almost every stride was agonizing. Then on the soccer field at school, the legs snapped, and the fall twisted Stanley to the ground. His hands clenched tightly into an angry ball, and he screamed. There were tears. For a young, confident athlete, the injury was an embarrassing admission of weakness, even failure. His own body had broken his pride. He was carried to his family's hut, and there he, embraced, he braced himself for the future. The uncertainty lasted three days. When tribal medicine didn't relieve his pain, Stanley's family carried him 20 miles to Tenwick Hospital. And there, Dr. Ernie... Sturry, a missionary doctor, told Stanley and his family there was evidence of a tumor that had been slowly eating away at the bone below the knee. The stress of running had caused the diseased bone to break. To, stay, to save Stanley's life, Dr. Sturry amputated Stanley's left leg. I could stop here, Mel Cheatham wrote, and explain how this single event altered Stanley's life, but you will find out soon enough. For now, you need only to imagine this proud Kipsages tribesman returning home to his village as a cripple, unable to stand or walk without help, and being watched intensely by 40 or so well-wishers. What silent doubts he must have carried inside himself. Will I be accepted by my friends? Will I be an outcast now? Will people be able to take their eyes off this amputation stump and see me? Stanley was forced to face being totally dependent on his family and friends. Someone had fashioned a sturdy tree limb into a pole about six feet long and two inches thick. Using it for support, Stanley was able to stand on his right leg and propel himself along in a swinging motion, 
by placing the pole ahead, then hopping forward on his right foot. Imagine the world champion in the 100-meter dash reduced to hobbling with a stick. This is the picture of Stanley standing alone with his fractured pride. He began to venture out of the family compound and visit friends and acquaintances. No longer swift of foot, he trudged along in an awkward dance, lunging then halting, steadied by one pole and then one leg. It took about six weeks for the amputation stump to heal. Then Dr. Sturry located a crudely made crutch, but the hope of walking proved artificial. Stanley found the crutch painful and awkward. The whole tragedy might not have touched me so powerfully, he wrote, except for one thing. Stanley had started a Sunday school class for some small children at a primary school. In spite of his pain, he was already reaching out to others. After one year of secondary school, he was accepted at Tenwick School where he could get around more easily. But that presented a new problem. Without money for a bus ride, how would he get from Tenwick to this primary school to teach the Sunday school class? Stanley solved that problem by walking seven miles both ways once each week the entire school year so he could continue teaching the class. It meant waking up at five o'clock every Sunday morning. This gave him enough time to hobble the seven dusty, sometimes muddy miles to the primary school and back, all on one leg and a bent stick. He did that for a group of students who meant more to him than the inconvenience of walking for six hours. He did that for a group of students who, who meant more to him than the inconvenience of walking for six hours. What would you do for love, for the love of the Lord, for the love of his children. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thomas Chisholm wrote a beautiful hymn that captures the essence of Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Oh, to be like thee. I'd like to close this morning with the words of that hymn. O oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of, life, all of earth's treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to wear. O oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinners to find. Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I am coming, now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing. Lord, from this moment all shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee. While I am pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple, meet for thy dwelling, fit for a life which thou wouldst approve. O oh, to be like thee, O oh, to be like thee, 
Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Being like you, Lord, serving like you, giving like you, loving like you, takes your work in our hearts and takes our effort also. You promise that you take from us our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, that you'll put a new spirit, your spirit, in us and move us to follow you. Stamp thine own image deep on our hearts today, we pray, God. We open ourselves either for the first time or anew to, to this work of yours of changing us from the inside out. And as you change us, you call us to imitate you. Lord, we know we have a choice to make whether or not to do so. We can go on living for ourselves, caring first and foremost about our needs and our wants. Or like you, we can serve and give and love. You've left us an example that we should follow in your steps. So we ask that you speak to our hearts, Lord, about some step that we can take today, this week, in following you and imitating you, in serving or giving or loving like you. You know our frailties, Lord. You know our weaknesses. So if we need help even to take a step in following your example, just like this man Stanley needed a stick to help him to walk, we lean on you, God. Thank you this morning for your loving help, for your loving example, for calling us to be imitators of you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we're going to have our closing song. I invite who's ever coming to lead us. I guess Bart's coming. Um, and um, we also invite the intercessors to come to the front. And as we sing, if there are uh, things that you would appreciate having brothers and sisters uh, pray with you about, um, come and, and receive prayer with them. And let's uh, continue to worship the Lord together.